0: He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God, the song of praise. Let's begin with a question, number one, why singing? Why do humans sing? Why has God given us the ability to sing? <coughs> Some animals can make song like noises, most notably, I suppose, certain types of bird. But not all birds can produce tuneful melodies. Some are only capable of a raucous noise. If you've ever tried to sleep alongside, a rookery, you'll know exactly what that's like. Dogs can howl, but it's a very limited, narrow range of sounds that they just repeat over and over again. And not all of them do it anyway, thankfully. Ocean mammals like whales and dolphins, they are capable of producing eerie strains and whistles that carry for miles through the oceans. But you and I actually in creation are unique in that we have a singing voice which is distinct from our speaking voice. And what a remarkable instrument the singing voice can be. When is singing first mentioned in the Bible? I'm not for a moment going to suggest that this is the first time that anyone ever sang. I'm sure singing was known long before this. But the first time that God ever chooses to mention it in his word, surely that must be quite a significant thing. Especially when we see that it is a a song of praise to God. The song of Moses. After God had brought Israel out of captivity in Egypt. It's the first time singing is mentioned in the Bible. Out of a human voice. This is how Moses begins. It's Exodus chapter 15. It's quite a long song. I'll just read the first little little section. Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying... I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider, he's thrown into the sea. Of course, that was the the Egyptian army that came after them and were drowned in the Red Sea. The Lord is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God. And I will exalt him. Then a little later we hear of Miriam answering, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. And of course the singing of praise to God features large in the worship of God in Israel. We were reminded this morning that there were singers in the returning exiles amongst them. And we hear David, therefore I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. In Chronicles, sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of his wondrous works. Sing to the Lord, all the earth, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. 2 Chronicles, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated in the midst of the singing of God's praise king hezekiah and the leaders commanded the levites to sing praise to the lord with the words of david and of asaph the seer the words of the psalms so they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshipped and of course the singing of praise to god is the dominant theme in the book of psalms which is after all the old the old testament hymn book The Lord's my strength, my shield, my heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. I'll praise the Lord according to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. I'll be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. I'll sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Therefore, I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, and sing praises to your name. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. And it's in the book of Psalms that we see very clearly that the corporate singing of praise to God forms a central aspect of the collective worship of God's people. If you have a look at Psalm 95 there, it's all about us. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Us. Let us worship and bow down. And here is singing put to its greatest use. Here is singing in its highest and purest form. The public acknowledgement and declaration of God. Ascribing to him that praise that he alone is due. Is it stretching things too far to suggest that it is for this chief purpose that God has blessed us with the ability to sing. I don't think it is. Why has God given you a voice with which you may sing so that you may sing his praise and declare him? Of course, the Bible does show us that singing was employed in other ways too. The women of Israel, much to the annoyance of King Saul, sang the praises of young David and his victories on the battlefield. Some of you will know that passage. David went out wherever Saul sent him, 1 Samuel 18. David behaved wisely. Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Singing, of course, may also be employed for less noble purposes. If you go to a football match, you'll often hear songs being used to deride and ridicule opposing fans. And even to pour insult on the other team's players. If any of you regularly go to a football match, there are all kinds of things that you hear while you're there. You would not dare repeat them here. Here. Listen to Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. I have become the ridicule of all my people. Their taunting song all the day. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I am their taunting song. That's in chapter 3 of Lamentations. And as we read that, we're made aware that the world has so often actually defiled this glorious gift of singing, this glorious gift of song, in order that they might sing about ignoble things, depraved things, defiled things, wicked things, immoral things. When the world sings of love, which it frequently does, too often the words will either reflect sexual immorality or of a love broken or of a love lost. There are songs which seek to celebrate the best of love, which try to capture that which is good about love, And yet, one of the reasons that such songs often resonate so much with people is because the song is depicting love, which in this broken and sinful world so often feels out of reach. A love that seems to evade us, a love that seems to be unattainable, unrequited love. Mournful songs. about love but David says he can sing a new song a new song so let's ask a question why a new song what is it David that you're singing of what is it that God has done It's a new song because it's a song that may only be sung by those who have truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good. It's a new song because its object and focus is at another level completely compared to anything you'll ever find people in the world singing about. It's a new song Because it's the response of experiencing for yourself the reality of verses one and two. That God has heard you as you've cried out to Him. And He's lifted you out of that horrible pit and out of that miry clay and set your feet upon a rock and established your steps in Christ. And that new song now is in your mouth because of what God has done in His grace and mercy. It's a new song because it speaks of an eternal love that never fails not like the love the world sings about so often it's a new song because it speaks of God's faithfulness and of his salvation it's a new song because the heart and eyes of the singer are lifted up not looking at the things of this world as they sing but looking to the things of heaven It's a new song because God in his mercy has revealed himself to the sinner and made himself known to the singer. And the song tells of all God's glorious attributes and all the wonderful blessings that he's bestowed upon you. It's a new song because the song itself is the result of God's grace and power in the life and experience of the singer. It's a new song because God is infinite in all his ways and you can never exhaust themes of praise for God and you can never tire of singing them and because his mercy is on you every morning, there literally can be a new song on your lips every single day. Uh, In the world in which we live, there are all kinds of accolades that may be heaped upon singers and songwriters in recognition of their talents. This new song won't permit the singer to be thought of or considered in that way. Because with this new song, everything begins and ends with God. This is the new song that we sing. A song of praise to our God, a song of worship, a song of thankfulness, a song of adoration. A song of never ending and certain hope and joy and peace and comfort for the soul. Do you know what it is to sing this song? The singer cannot help himself or herself but to sing and extol the name of God. Do you know the reality of these things for yourself? Do you have this new song in your mouth? In our sung worship, I hope you realize that at the very heart of it, this is what makes for great congregational singing. That what is what is being sung? is this new song coming from the lips of everyone who is worshipping. It doesn't actually matter how good the soundtrack is. It doesn't matter how proficient the musicians are. It doesn't matter if you're singing with no musical accompaniment at all. When God has put his new song in your mouth, that is when you really begin to sing. That's when you really begin to praise and worship him. And only then. It isn't about the goosebumps that the music produces down your arms. It's all about the love and the mercy that God has shown you in the face of Jesus Christ. And the work of grace that God has done deep within you. That's when you really begin to sing this new song. That is not to say that we cannot or should not use musical accompaniment to assist us. We have the sanction of God's word to do that. Sometimes I sit and join them over there. Occasionally. The thing to remember is that God does not judge or accept your worship by the grandeur of the musical production. It's about the song that He has put in your heart. That's what makes it worship. but there's something else going on here in these verses which is even more wonderful and actually it's only when you grasp this reality that the second half of the verse truly begins to make sense this psalm may have been written by david and it may well and it may well be and it is a true response to his own circumstances and it is a true response from him as to what God has done in his life. But these also, and more importantly, are the words of Christ. The Bible is God speaking. And again and again in the Old Testament, we hear the voice of Jesus speaking. Yes, in the Old Testament These words in Psalm 40, this new song in David's mouth is Christ's song, number three. It's Christ's song. How can I be sure that I'm not stretching things too far to say that these are the the words of Christ? That's an important question to be able to answer. Well, the reason I know that I'm not stretching things too far to say that this is Christ is because the Bible tells me that these are the words of Christ. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, the writer of that letter says at verse 5, Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, and then he quotes verses 6 to 8, of Psalm 40 as being the words of Christ. If verses 6 to 8 are the words of Christ, the voice of Christ, the whole psalm is the voice of Christ. For example, you only have to start reading verses 9 and 10 and realize that these verses are true of Christ speaking. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Is there anyone who has done that more or greater than Christ? Is there anyone who can say that better than Christ can? Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, for you yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. These are the words of Christ. And the Bible actually speaks of God singing. Zephaniah chapter 3. The Lord God is in your midst. The mighty one will save us Christ. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is Christ's song. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon spoke of these words. He says this, at the Passover, before his crucifixion, our Lord sang one of the grand old psalms of praise. But what? Is the music of his heart right now in the midst of his redeemed what a song is that in which his glad heart forever leads the chorus of the elect this could only be written by Spurgeon Moses triumphant him cannot for a moment rival that ever new and exulting song justice magnified grace victorious hell subdued and heaven glorified death destroyed and immortality established, sin overthrown and righteousness resplendent. What a theme for a hymn in that day when our Lord drinks the new wine with us all in our heavenly Father's kingdom, even on earth and before his great passion, he foresaw the joy which was set before him and was sustained by the prospect Our God, the God of Jesus, the God of Israel, my God and your God, how will we praise him? But, ah, Jesus will be the chief player on our stringed instruments. He will lead the solemn hallelujah which shall go up from those redeemed by blood. What a sight, what a sound, what a song, what a saviour. What a glorious future that awaits you as you join with the chorus of heaven. Will you be there? This is a new song which, because it's about an eternal God, can be new for all of eternity. (laughs) And with that perspective of Christ in view, The final phrase of verse 3 opens up to us. Many will see it and fear. And will trust in the Lord. Spurgeon continues like this. I'm quoting him because I can't say it any better than he can. So let's listen to him. A multitude that no man can number. Shall see the griefs and triumphs of Jesus. Shall tremble because of their sinful rejection of him. And then through grace shall receive faith and become trusters in God. I didn't know trusters was a word. I think Spurgeon invented it. They'll become trusters in God. Here is our Lord's reward. Here is the assurance which makes preachers bold and workers persevering. Listener, are you one of the many? Note the way of salvation, a sight a fear, a trust. Do you know what these mean by possessing and practicing them in your own soul? Trusting in the Lord is the evidence. It's the essence of salvation. He who is a true believer is evidently redeemed from the dominion and sin of Satan. In this second half of the verse then you actually discover what is the way of salvation to conclude what is the way of salvation first of all you need to see the eyes of the sinner are opened and their opened eyes see what do they see They see what they are in their sin. From where they came in their sins. Where they are heading in their sins. They see it. But that's not all they see. They begin to see God's holiness and righteousness. They see in the light of that their own great sinfulness, their guilt, their shame, God's justice and judgment. They see it. Why could they never see it previously? They were blind. How do they see it now? God has opened their eyes and lifted their blindness. This is the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit that we thought about last Wednesday. And they fear. Which is to speak not merely of fear in the sense of terror, although that is not at all inappropriate when you think about the judgment that's coming. If you will stand before Christ in all of your sin, terror is how you should be feeling about that event but it's a fear which brings conviction of sin. It's a fear which brings a recognition both of the existence and the godliness of God and of his majesty and of his supremacy and of his authority and of his kingship and of his lordship over all things and my accountability to him. That's the fear of God. But that's not the only thing they see. They see God's mercy. They see God's compassion. They see God's grace, God's forgiveness. And they see it all demonstrated so completely and so fully and so wonderfully in the Lord Jesus Christ. As the sinless Son of God gave up his own life as their substitute as their atoning sacrifice for all of their sins on the cross. And they see God's planned and promised salvation all fulfilled in him as he defeated sin and death by rising again on the third day. And as they see all of these things and as the fear of God takes hold of them, In sorrowful repentance of their sins, they turn from their sin and they put their trust in Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Because now they see and now they fear, but now they also trust and trust in Him alone. Have you? Our gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, might we leave this place this evening, O Lord, with the song of your salvation in our hearts and upon our lips. May this be for us our new song every morning and every night as we declare your faithfulness, your goodness, your grace and your mercy as we sing of that salvation which has been secured through the Lord Jesus Christ for sinners such as we that there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we may be saved. Oh Lord that this might be each day our new song to the praise and glory of your name In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.